Sir uh, Caitlin mentioned, um, books are available for you for free. If you have not or are not reading this book, please, I implore you, pick up the book, read it. Uh, devotionals are also available, and uh, pick up those as well. And I'll talk about the devotionals in a couple of weeks. Um, let me put this quote up by John Ortberg, one of my favorite authors. Painful honesty is better than comfortable avoidance. Would you agree with that? Painful honesty is better than comfortable avoidance. It is easy to give in to the temptation to know something is not right, but to not really know because we don't want to know. It's easy to give in to the temptation to know that something isn't right. I was just talking to a a fellow yesterday, and we were talking about actually Christian marriages that are imploding and some key leaders, you know, infidelity and others. And we talked about that, and I said to him, I said, you know, it's amazing how many Christian couples know that something isn't quite right, but they don't know because what? They, they don't want to know. We said that's what self-deception is, and that is the opposite of self-awareness, right? Self-deception is at the heart of an emotionally unhealthy person. When you know, but you don't know because you don't really want to know. So painful honesty is what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. If you're visiting us for the first time, welcome. Um, <laughs> And I've been thinking, I've been thinking, I, full confession, every Sunday I come here and I get really nervous because I'm like, God, this church is going to be like half full this week because people just don't want to, people just not want to talk about this. And yet, I'm thankful and grateful for your courage to be honest and rigorously honest, church family. So if you're visiting today, this is actually a good dose or good uh, example of who we are as a church. So if you go home and you go, I don't know if I want to go back to that church. This is who we are. Amen? This is what we want to be. We're talking about emotionally healthy spirituality. And uh, again, a lot of this material is in the book. None of this is my own. A lot of this is in the book. And he defines, Peter Scazzaro, the author, defines emotionally healthy spirituality as the ability to be selfful and love well. But he says that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is impossible to be spiritually mature without being emotionally healthy or emotionally in, uh, uh, mature. And, 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 and these two things is what we've been talking about. And today, I need to jump right in because I don't have a lot of time. I'm, you know, we're talking and unpacking such enormous things. I could go for two hours every Sunday, but I can't because I already go long enough as is. Today we're going to talk about emotionally healthy spirituality requiring us to go through what Peter Scazzaro calls the journey through the wall. Or what some desert fathers call the dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul, the experience of journeying through the wall. Because here's the thing that we need to come to grips with that's really, really hard. Today is going to, today, by the way, warning, today is going to be really, really hard from the beginning to end. There are some things that God wants to do in and through us that can't be done unless we go through the wall. There are some things that God wants to do in and through us that cannot be done unless we go through this experience of journeying through the wall. Journey through the wall is the normal, ordinary way that Christians grow and mature because there are some things, church family, that needs to be purged out of us, purified out of us, that cannot be done unless we journey through the wall. Are you hearing me? I don't have to convince some of you because you all know this already. 
There are some things that God wants to do in and through us that just cannot be done any other way. What happens when we come on the other side of the wall, go through the wall? Let me give you good news first, okay? Many people come through the wall being freed from what other people think of them. Would anybody like that? We come through the wall being freed, caring so much about what other people think and opinions. We also come through the wall more clear about who we are, more aware of who we are. We come through the wall also more certain of God's love, more sure that he is with us. We come through the wall also for some of us no longer needing to be well-known or needing to be successful, but simply pursuing God's will and what God wants for us. We come through the wall uh, learning to be content in every situation. Would anybody like that? Oh, man. We also come through the wall living more fully and authentically into who we are. We shed what we've been calling, talking about, the false self and, and emerge as who Christ wants us to be. We come through the wall, more importantly, most importantly, in our conversation, being self-aware and being able to actually love well. The problem what we have with the wall and why we struggle the journey through the wall is because we are confronted with two lies that we believe that our culture teaches us. Here they are. One, it confronts with the lie that we are in control. You can't control experience through the wall. They're like seasons of life. Fall, winter, spring, summer. They come to us whether we like it or not. The other thing that the journey through the wall confronts with is this lie that we believe. Not only that we're in control, we are in America. So it confronts with this lie that we are entitled to a life devoid of hardship, suffering, and pain. Can I say that here? I know you're not going to sit there and go, well, I believe that I'm entitled. Nobody says that. Nobody walks around and says that. But when hardship, pain, and suffering invade our lives, think about how we respond. We're like, this is an alien, foreign thing that's coming into my life. What the heck is this? When in reality, and this is the thing, if you've traveled outside of America, Vast majority of the world don't live with this mentality. I am entitled to a life without suffering hardship and pain. No, everybody goes, no, that's normal. That's our life. What? What's the big deal? Americans <laughs> about that. So we struggle because we think we could control our lives and we're entitled to life. And, the, and when the wall comes to us through divorce, Job loss, death of a close friend, death of a family member. When the wall comes to us through a cancer diagnosis, when the wall comes to us through a disillusioning church experience, when the wall comes to us through betrayal or shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident, when it comes to us via inability to get pregnant, when it comes to us through not just one, but two, three miscarriages, when it comes to us through a deep desire to marry, but a desire that goes unfulfilled. It knocks us off from our bearings. How do I know I'm going through the wall? And again, some of this is like common sense to you, but for the rest of us, please just hang in there for two more minutes. One of the ways that you know that you're going through the wall is that, listen very carefully for the next two minutes, this is, is good feelings of God's presence evaporate. Good feelings of God's presence evaporate. Why does that happen? I'm going to get into this. This entire sermon series, we've been saying we need to pay attention to our feelings. We need to pay attention to our feelings. We need to pay attention to our feelings. But many of us mistake paying attention to our feelings and get to a place where we start 
worshiping our feelings. And we confuse feelings of and about God with God himself. And if you and I confuse feelings about and of God for God himself and start worshiping our feelings instead of paying attention to them, the only way for God to get us to stop worshiping them is to remove them altogether. So we go through seasons where we don't feel God's presence. That might be God rewiring our taste buds so that we could taste him more fully. Are you hearing me? Many of us who are in our 20s, who grew up in college youth ministry, where we're accustomed to literally being addicted to feelings about God, in our 20s is when sometimes God will take us through seasons where we go, I don't feel you. And God might be saying, you're worshiping your feelings. You don't know. The journey through the wall comes when the door of heaven feels like it's shut as we pray, the Bible turns to dust. Christian disciplines that we're accustomed to no longer work. We don't know where God is, what he's doing, and it's all will be over. And not everybody responds the same to the wall. <laughs> Sometimes people want to jump over the wall. Any jumpers here? Any jumpers? Some of us try and dig a hole under the wall. Some of us try and go around it instead of going through the wall, choosing to trust God, choosing to wait on God, choosing to seek God, stick with God, remain faithful when everything wants us to quit now. I got to be honest, as a pastor over 25 years, I have seen people hit the wall and either get stuck or because it's so disorienting, just drop out altogether. Do you know anybody like that? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Real quick before I jump in, what's the difference between a wall and trials and setbacks, in case you're wondering? How do I know I'm going through the wall? Trials are traffic jams, annoying bosses. Trials are delayed traffic departures, uh, airplane departures. Trials are car breakdowns. Trials are fevers. Trials are barking dogs in the middle of the night. Trials are our neighbors who play their music too loud. Trials are when the L train doesn't show up too. Those are trials. Walls are David freeing a lunatic king for 13 years. Walls are Abraham waiting 25 years for the promised child. Walls are Job losing all 10 of his kids his health, and everything he owns in one day. Let's look at his story, yeah? Of someone who journeyed through the wall. Job chapter 1 is where we are. <laughs> Pastor Caitlin or somebody, may I ask for some water, please? Bottled water or some water. My mouth is getting, uh, what is that, dry? What's that? No, I was going to say like foamy, but it's not foamy. What is that? Is it dry? Okay. <laughs> Do you hear that? They're like, this is a trial. They're going through a trial. A foamy dry mouth is a trial. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm glad actually we're lighthearted right now because about halfway in the sermon, y'all going to be like, this ain't funny. All right. Book of Job. Do you know why we don't like the book of Job? I'll tell you exactly why we don't like the book of Job. We started talking about this last week. Because the book of Job challenges this very simplistic either-or mentality. Thank you so much, Ryan. This very simple either-or mentality of God and a world. What do I mean? Last week we talked about this. From our view, either life is good, God is good. Life is bad, God is bad. Book of Job comes and goes, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Life is hard. Evil is happening. Suffering and hardship is real. Why? 
That's book of Job. That's why you and I don't read it. But we're going to read it today. Job chapter 1, verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the peoples of the east. That's some bio right there. Verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. And the Lord said to Satan, hey, have you considered my Job's servant? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil. In the Old Testament, the word fear literally means inward awe and wonder. God is saying, Job loves me. For me. Job serves me. For me. Now listen to what Satan says to him. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But, but, but stretch out your hand, God, and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. What is Satan saying? Pay attention. Satan is going, you think Job loves you for you? Job doesn't love you for you. He loves you for the things you do for him. He serves you because you serve him. He worships you because you have blessed him. Take away all the things that he cherishes and you watch what he does. Watch his true colors. He doesn't love you for you. He loves the money, the prosperity, the health. Take away all of that. Then we'll see if he loves you. And right now, we're on very familiar emotional terrain, aren't we? Because Satan had to put a finger on one of the biggest problems with the human race. I'm just curious. Anybody here ever have the experience of being with somebody, dating somebody, they seem to be really into you, they like you. And then you tell them, I'm not going to sleep with you. I'm a committed Christian, follower of Jesus, and this is what I believe. And then the next day, like, he gone. What? 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 He didn't love you for you. He loved you for what? Yes. He loved you for what? That's not just how men are. Let's not kid ourselves. That's how what? Human beings are. Now, if you've ever been on the receiving end of this, and I have here and there, you feel used. You feel exploited. It's the ickiest feeling in the world. Here's a question. Have you ever done that to somebody? You ever, and here's the thing. Here's how we do it. It's subtle, you know. We help people for them, we help people in the name of Jesus, but at the end of the day, who are we doing it for? And see, the thing is, when you treat somebody like that, please listen, when you and I treat someone like that, we become the user, we become the exploiter. And something happens to our hearts, where hearts get hard and cynical. Frankly, we get less and less human and more and more like Satan. When you and I use people for our selfish gain, use people to feel better about ourselves, something happens to our hearts. But here's a question that I'm going to put up this morning. I want you and I to wrestle with. How closely is your commitment to God tied to what he does for you? 
Church, how closely is your commitment to God, is my commitment to God tied to what he does for you? Do you ever, please be honest, prefer the gifts of God over the giver? Do you ever um, try and, you know, manipulate, bargain with God by saying, if I, I'll serve you if, or I'll love you if, I'll be good if, I'll worship you if. You ever try and manipulate God by saying, God, I'll do X, Y, and Z, but I expect you to do X, Y, and Z. See, I, when Satan looks at us saying, I love God, I love God, I worship God, sometimes I feel like he's saying, you don't love God for God. You love God for what he does for you. Peter, you don't love God. You don't worship God. You love what he does for you. You don't love him for who he is in himself. You're in it for yourself. Can I ask you a question? Is Satan right about you? Is Satan right about me? The thing is, who of us in here wants to be a user? Anybody? I won't be a user. Nobody. Who of us in here wants to be an exploiter? Nobody. Every single person, I'm going to give us credit. Every single person of you wants to be a person of justice, of compassion, of love, and of mercy. Yes? We all want to be people of integrity. We all want to be that. We all want to be that. And here's the thing. God loves you and me too much to let us become users and exploiters. He loves us too much to let that happen to us. And here's the thing. Because he loves us, if you want to be a person of integrity, if you want to be a person of compassion, if I want to be a person of justice and of love, then we have to come to a place where we learn to love God for God. And not what he does for us. We have to learn to worship God for who he is in himself and not what we can gain. And forget about even our relationship with God, even with each other. Don't you want to love people for them and not what you could get? Don't you want to love well? Don't you want to stop using people, but love them for them. Love God for God and not what he does for you. To be a person of integrity, of justice, and of love. And here's the thing. It's not possible for us, you and me, to learn to love God for God. And to love people for people without going through the wall. The wall of suffering. Did you hear that? Because what is suffering? I'm going to get to this a little bit later. Absolutely, suffering sometimes invades our lives because we live in a fallen world with an active enemy who is out to kill, steal, and destroy. But there is suffering that comes into our lives when ultimately the things we've locked to for security, things we've looked to for identity, things we've looked to for our significance and meaning in life, the things that, come on now, are functional gods, are being taken away from us. Suffering sometimes comes when those things we've looked to, those things we've placed as our ultimate hope and ultimate salvation is being taken away. Because I don't know about you, I got a confession this morning. I don't realize, I don't realize how much something has become my functional God. Something has become my ultimate identity and significance until it's gone. Until it's taken away. I'm telling you, church. Every single day I could be praying, reading scripture, preaching my heart out. But it's not until something is gone that God says, isn't that your real functional God? Some of us are sitting here today going, here I'm a Christian, I'm suffering. I'm just thinking about chucking the whole thing. Some of us are sitting here going, why would God do this to me? Why would God let this happen to me? 
Can you this morning for a moment look and see through eyes of faith and see what might be happening? Suffering is the process through which our functional gods and saviors, things we've looked to for ultimate any significance is being taken away. When they don't come through for you and church family, functional gods can't come through for you. They can't come through for you. They won't come through for you. They will let you down. The real God can never be taken away. The real God will never let you down. But functional gods and functional saviors can and will be taken away. We're sitting here saying, my life feels meaningless right now. If the very thing that we found meaning in life is taken away, of course, our life will feel meaningless. Anybody here know of a woman named Rhonda Rousey? Everyone, for those of you that are not, she's a, she's, she's a, she's a bad, you know what? She's an MMA, in case you're going, what is that? Mar- mixed martial arts. She was the women's champion for like ever, undefeated. Then as many of you know, she was defeated by a woman named Holly Holmes recently. And if you're going, you watch that stuff? No, I don't. I just read the news, okay? <laughs> I, I'm totally serious. I think it's, I think it's, it's yeah. I, I'm, I'm not choking. No, I'm serious. I, I'm not judging those of you who do. I'm just saying. I'm just, it's just, do you know, do you know that recently an interview came out where right after the fight, This is what she said in the locker room. I was down in the corner of the meta girl and then I was like, what am I anymore if I'm not this? I was literally sitting there and thinking about killing myself. To that exact moment, I'm like, I'm nothing. for you. Here's a woman who's at the pinnacle of her career. Money, fame, success, world-renowned. She could literally do anything she wants to. But here's a question. Is she free? Is Ronda Rousey free? Or is she enslaved? Is she bound? The very definition of someone who is enslaved and bound is someone who says, if I lose this, then my life is over. So here's the question, if you can put it up, please. The question is not, am I happy? Stop asking that question. Stop asking, am I happy? The question for a child of God is, am I free? Am I living in the freedom Christ has given me? Are you free? Stop asking, am I happy? That's the stupidest question in the world. The real question is, am I free? Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stop continuing to bind yourselves by things that continue to hold you down. You want true peace? Do you want true peace? True comes, true peace comes when the source of your peace is rooted in something that this world cannot take away. You want joy, not fleeting happiness, but true joy. Your joy has to be rooted in something that no circumstances of this life, no people, nothing, not even you can take that joy away. Are you free? The irony is this, God has given us amazing creation for gifts. But the people who are able to most enjoy the gifts of God's creation are the very same people who don't find ultimate enjoyment in the creator. And you're free. You're free. Was Satan right about Job? 
for those of you that know the story of Job, was Satan right about Job? Did Job just love things or did he love God for God? That's a trick question, sorry. Because at the end of chapter 1, Job is doing well. He worships God. He worships God. Continues to trust God. But as the story goes on, Job begins to get shaky. And we realize that Job doesn't love God just for the things, but he doesn't yet love God for God. And listen, please, the next statement. The only way, the only way for God to make Job into a man of greatness, the only way for God to make Job into a man who loves God for God and not anything else, is for Job to go through the wall of suffering and never find out. Job never finds out why. In the entire book, Job never hears about this conversation between God and Satan. In the entire book, Job has no idea why he's talking. By the way, Job has four friends. They're jerks. If you have friends like them, you need to get rid of them tomorrow. Or today, as Carlton says. When we get to the end of the book, after Job has heard from his four jerks, friends, God shows up because Job begins to be rattled by his friends. God shows up and Job says, why? And God doesn't go, well, Job, let me tell you. So here's what happened, okay? Satan and I had this conversation, da, 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 da. so at the end, here's what's going to happen. 2016, some crazy Korean pastor is going to get up and he's going to talk about your life and people are going to be amazed at the courage that you had. And by the way, you're going to get a double of everything that you lost. Now, is that a good deal? Job doesn't get that. Do you know what Job gets? This is what he gets. Job 38. The Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this? That questions my wisdom with such ignorant words. Brace yourself like a man. Because I have some questions for you. And you best answer me. Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Where does light come from? And where does darkness go? Can you take each to its own? Do you know how to get there? And then I love the fact that God can be also sarcastic. But of course you know all this, Job. For you were born before it was all created. And you are so very experienced. This is like the ultimate mic drop moment. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Which brings up this sermon point that I know some of us are going to struggle with. And that is this. Journey through the wall leads to a greater appreciation for holy unknowing. History. I need, you to, I need you to participate in this activity. How many of you like control? If you look in the dictionary under control, my picture is right there. Control. And it also includes my relationship with God. Anybody else? I'd like to know exactly where God is going, why God is going there, how long it's going to take, when it's going to end. But the journey through the wall, please look up here. The journey through the wall reminds you and me that we're dealing with the God we can't control. We're dealing with the God, as C.S. Lewis said, who is untamed, who is wild. You can't read the Bible and not realize that there are some scary things about God. Amen? There's some uncomfortable things about God. There are some things about Him that I frankly struggle with. There are things about God that I wrestle with. And the journey through the whole experience reminds me 
that my posture towards this God is not to control, to determine, to possess, and to master, but to fall on my knees and saying, you are God, I am not. You are untamed, I can't control you. You are wild. I can't do anything about that. There are some disturbing things about you. You're big, you're huge. I'm small, I'm finite. Have you come to grips with that? Have you come to grips with the fact you're dealing with the God who is untamed, who we can't control? Because the reality is 80% of us in here, we are desperately trying to control God. How? Through good behavior. Can I say that again? Do you know what the wall is for many of us? It's when we go, you're a God I wanna control. And the way I wanna control you is I'm gonna be good, okay, God? I'm gonna be spiritual. I'm gonna read the Bible. I'm gonna do the youth group thing, the college thing, the fellowship thing. I'm gonna do, I will serve you. I will obey you. I will do all these things. And in return, I need you to give me a good life. And in return, I need you to make sure there's no suffering. And in return, I need you to make sure that I get married, okay? How many of us sitting here, we're controlling God by saying, listen, God, I will do all these things. But I expect you to. And when God doesn't act the way you expect you to, what do you do? What do I do? We don't go, holy, unknowing mystery. You're an untimable. We go, what the heck? I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm through. What's the good of all? That's why. And one of the, one of the results of journeying through the wall, Daniel, is we come to a childlike dependence and reliance on the haunting, unknowing mystery of God. And it's not an intellectual cop-out, but it's simply to go, you're too big for me to understand. Your ways are higher than my ways. You're God. Unknowing. Truth be told, there are some of us who walked in here this morning and saying, I didn't ask for this life. And I was good to you. See, people say to me, Peter, I could handle this. I could handle this better if God would just show me why. If God would just come and show me why. You know, you're suffering from now. I'm just going to, you're suffering from now, Sarah. But five years from now, this is going to happen. Ten years from now, this is going to happen. Do you know why God doesn't do that? Because if God did that, your obedience would be not for God. Your obedience would be for what you're going to get five years from now, what you're going to get ten years from now, and you're right back where you started. Did you hear what I said? The only way for God to make you a name into a man, a woman of greatness, is to go through this experience trusting that God is with us and will be on the other side and not know why. Because if you and I knew why, we would do for the why and not for God. We would do for the why and not for God. We would do for the why and not for God. The only way to be sure that you're loving God for God. I am loving God for God rather than for what I'm going to get is I have to come to a place where I am serving God and I get nothing. Matter of fact, Darius, it's worse than that. You don't just get nothing. Sometimes you get the opposite. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And in case you go, that's crazy. Who would be stupid enough to do that? Obey God not just for nothing. You get the opposite. 
Yeah, he was pretty stupid, all right. Stupid enough to die for you and me to bring salvation to you. That's the reason why, the reason for our suffering, church, reason for the wall will often be hidden from us. Otherwise, we're going to be the user. We're going to be the exploiter. You're going to have to be willing to trust God to bring us through the wall where we trust God in the midst of suffering and pain without knowing why. It's the only way to become a person who loves well, who loves well, who loves well. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. One of the first things I came across when I read Scoop Tape Letters is the devils are always saying there's no such thing as love. And they know why their enemy Jesus often puts his disciples through the ringer. It's because he wants to turn them into free lovers. That's his way of saying people who love God for God, love people for people, love well. Someone who loves Christ, who loves God himself and well. Church, can I ask you a question? Do you want to be someone who loves well? Do you want to love God for God? Come on, answer. Do you want to love? Do you want to love God for do you want to serve God for God? Do you want to love people for people? Do you want to be someone who, because Satan is totally cynical about love. He looks at all of us in here and goes, nobody in here will love God just for God. Nobody in here will love people just for people. And God's going, no, that's exactly what I'm out to do, Satan. I want to turn them into free lovers, people who love God. And that means that you and I journey through the wall, embracing mystery of not knowing why. And you journey through the wall knowing that our God is an intimate. Now finish the rest of the story. Verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, very well then. I, everything he has in your hands. But on the man himself, don't you dare lay a finger. Anybody encouraged by what I just read? Because I want you to see this. It's so critical, and I'm going to come back to this. See this. this isn't some Hollywood version, okay? God on one side, Satan on the other side. Battle between good and evil. This isn't some two equal deities going at it. You know what I'm saying? God's looking at Satan going, okay, what do you want to do? All right, you can do that. But you will never do that. You can do that. But God is completely in control. Look at the rest of the story. One of the hardest passages. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and carried him off. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And the most difficult verse in all of the Bible for me, while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are all dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And in chapter 2, we also see that Job loses his health as boils overcome his entire body. As we journey through the wall, and I wish I had more time to talk about this portion. As we journey through the wall, there are two truths. Everybody say two truths. Everybody say two truths. I need you to two truths that we need to literally go back to and anchor ourselves. First truth. Notice that Satan is behind all the evil and suffering that comes into Job's life. You read this passage and you see what scripture confirms over and over and over again. That is, God is never, ever the author of evil. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? 
God is never, ever the author of evil. Bible is absolutely clear on this point from beginning of the pages to the end. God is never, ever intending. God is never, ever desiring. God is never, ever creating the evil that comes into Job's life. If you have never heard of the creation story, here it is. When God created the world, it was a world without evil, sin, death, and suffering. Those were things that were unleashed when we came out from the rule and reign of God and rebelled against him. These are forces of darkness that were unleashed into our world. Sin, death, and evil when we rebelled. A world of evil and sin and death. Did you hear me? Did you hear me, church? Here's the second truth. The second truth is that despite, however, yet God is absolutely in control. Is that good news to anybody? God is. If you don't believe this, I don't know how you and I get up in the morning. If we don't believe that even though evil, sin, and death has been unleashed into the world because of our rebellion, our sin, that however, we have a God who is completely and totally in control. A God who allows Satan, who permits Satan to bring evil and suffering into Job's life. And here is what the entire book of Job's about. Why does God do that? Here it is. God allows Satan to bring, he permits Satan to bring evil and suffering into Job's life in such a way that it completely defeats Satan's intentions for Job. Sierra, are you the only one that is right? Did you hear what I said? God allows Satan to bring evil and suffering into Job's life to the degree in such a way that it completely defeats Satan's intentions for Job. It accomplishes the exact opposite of what Satan wants to do. He wants to discredit Job as a fraud. 2,000 years later, we are talking about this man's life who has influenced millions of people. If that's good truth, you could clap to that. What have we been learning for the last two Sundays? What you meant for evil, say it with me. God intended for good, for the saving of many lives. In all things, despite in and through. And here's the good news for me, not just what Satan wants to do, but what that man wanted to do, what that woman wanted to do, what they wanted to do, God takes what they meant for evil, I intended for good. The saving of many lives. Is that good news? And if you're sitting there going, when did that ever happen? <laughs> Is the cross not the ultimate example of what man intended for evil, God intended for good, the saving of many lives? Is that good news? Why do you think I do this every single Sunday? So we can walk out of here going, oh, there he goes talking about the gospel. It is our only source of hope, church. It is the only way for some of us who have suffered, who have gone through hardship, who have gone through unimaginable pain saying, is there any good to this? It is our only hope to go what anybody intended for evil. You, God, are going to use for good. Do you know what that means? That means from God's perspective, everything happens Everything happened. None of this is meaningless. None of this is meaningless. 
if you believe this, you and I believe not only is all of our affliction, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, momentary and light in comparison to eternity and the glory that awaits us there. But all of this is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of our pain, every millisecond of our hardship and suffering is doing something. Do you believe this? Do you understand this church that we serve a God? We serve a God who says every millisecond of your life in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory. None of this is meaningless. Somebody help me out here. Is this good news? And of course we can see what he's doing. But what does the scripture say? Do not just see what is seen. See what is what? says, do not lose heart. Anybody tempted to lose heart this morning? Do not lose heart, but take these truths and preach them to yourself daily. I'm almost done here. Last two, three verses. At this, Job got up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in what? Say it, church. In what? And said, I need you all to read the following verses with me, right? Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Do you know where Job finds his strength and his hope? Do you see the saturation of the gospel in his words? He doesn't go, my things, everything I own, my children, my possessions, my mind, God, how did, what does he say? He says, what? The Lord gave. And the Lord takes away. Everything I have is what? Say with me, my health, it's his. My children, they're his. My future, they're his. Do you know what it allows him to do? See the emotional realism? I'm almost done. See the emotional realism? You see the emotional, what does it mean? He weeps. He cries. He's mourning. In other words, he's emotionally healthy. Job is able to admit, God, I'm bewildered. I don't know what you're doing. I'm hurt. I'm angry. I'm sad. He's pouring out his emotions in real, authentic ways. Why have you forsaken me? He doesn't in any way hide any of his emotions. And God doesn't go, what are you doing? God says, come on. It's okay. It's okay. But in the midst of mourning, he what? He worships. And this is where I'm going to end. Job in the midst of mourning and grief, worships. Listen, please, not after sorrow and grief are over, he worships. Not, 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 when I see what this all accomplished, I'm gonna worship. In the midst of his sorrow and grief, in the middle of it, at the same time, he is worshiping. You go, how the heck does that happen? This is how it happens. Every single one of us in here, if you've never heard this before, you are all, I am all building our life on a foundation. There is something in all of us that we're building our life on. Don't you dare sit there and go, I'm a religious Peter. I don't build my life on anything. You are building your life on something. And here's the thing, you ready? Life will some point take that away from you. Life listen, will strip that away from you. You think you can hold on to your family forever? 
Do you think you're going to hold on to your family forever? You're going to lose your family. You think you're going to hold on to your looks forever? Come on now. You think you're going to hold on to your job forever? Life, forget about God. Life and everything will strip you of that. But if you build your life on me, if you build your foundation on God, if your ultimate love is God's love, your ultimate wealth is God's wealth, your ultimate security is God's security, what suffering and sorrow and grief will do is as it strips away the things of the world, it will drive you deeper and deeper into the only source of true joy. And that is God himself. And when the world strips you away from the things and it drives you deeper to your only source of joy, you realize resources there that you never had, which then enhances the joy. You know what that enables you to do? That then enables you to feel your sorrow and grief without fear. In other words, you're emotionally Look at Jesus. The dude is constantly crying for crying out loud. He's constantly weeping. You ever read the Gospels? <laughs> I want to go cheer Jesus. That's okay. He's constantly weeping, constantly. He's constantly, why, 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 why? He's perfect. Remember, Jesus is perfect. Why is he weeping? Because when you're driven to the only source of joy, you could feel the sadness of this world without it sinking. And you become a person of compassion and love. I'm tired. Church, does this make sense? You don't have to fear, sorrow, and grief. Some of us we've been talking about the last two weeks. Because you're going, I'm afraid to go there. Because what if I, an emotionally healthy person says, I have been driven to the only source of joy on the planet. And I have felt my sorrow and grief. And he is strong. So I'm not going to be all self-absorbed in my own pain and sorrow. I'm going to look around and go, you're hurting. You're hurting. You're hurting. You're hurting. You're hurting. See, church, CC, you can come on up. Can you just put this up there? This is what I've learned in 28 years of being a Christian. You don't realize Jesus is all I need until he's all that I have. <laughs> the only way, I'm sorry, church, I'm sorry, but the only way you're going to learn this, see, you're fooling yourself. <laughs> This is where my security is. I don't even for one second think that you guys are going to walk out here going, that was the most amazing sermon. Jesus is all I need. I got it. You know what's going to happen? That's going to hold for like two days. And two days later, you're going to look to him, look to her, look to that. The only way you will learn this is when life comes and says, I'm going to strip it all. Do you find the strength to do that? <laughs> Look to the ultimate Job. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? I'm going to make this quick. What, what did Jesus get out of that? Did he get anything? What did Jesus get out of the cross? What did the ultimate Job get out of the cross? He had Everything. He had the praise of heaven, church family, the praise of heaven. What did he get out of that? He got nothing. Not only did he get nothing, he got crucifixion and pain. Why? Because he says, I love you for you. Not what you do. So, Jesus says, love me.
This is the ultimate declaration of a perfect God saying, I love you just because. Now love me further. Is there anybody here this morning who is journeying through the wall right now? Can you stand with me? of you that stood, can you guys like make your way through the aisles and stand in the aisles because our church family, all of us, is, we're going to come around and pray for you. Come on, come through. And as you feel led by the Spirit, here's what you pray for. You pray that they would be courageous enough to embrace the holy, unknowing and trust God. You pray that even in the midst of their suffering, as they are driven deeper into the only source of joy, that they would be able to worship. And you pray most of all that they would see the ultimate Job who came.